Um, now we're coming to a time of Bible reading. The first reading comes from Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 17. Um, so the book of Job has been watching a man go through a lot of great suffering and he has a lot of questions for God. And today we'll be reading um, the last part of the story. So starting from chapter 42, verses 1 to 17. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord, he said these things to Job. He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So life has the Temanite, Bilad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters, the first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapok. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so Job died an old man and full of years. Um, the second reading comes from Revelation, and we'll be looking at chapter 20, verses 11, to chapter 21, verse 6. Starting from chapter 20, verses 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the death that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride and beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Thank you, Chiara. Hey, um, who was at Carol's last night? Um, who had a great time? Get let out of you. <laughs> well done. Uh, Chiara, thank you so much for you and your team. Uh, like in the hottest day we've had in four years, they tirelessly uh, set up. Uh, I know my wife was here for 14 hours while I was writing my talk in air-conditioned comfort uh, at home. Uh, but it was a real blessing uh, seeing the place packed out uh, yesterday and uh, just the joy. Um, and yes, yeah, so thanks for all who uh, helped out. Uh, with that. Now, last week I was a bit disturbed because Matt put a movie on the screen. Uh, admittedly, it was 30 years old, but there weren't enough people that knew that movie. So if Matt can do it, I can do it as well. Have a look at this movie. Hands up if you've seen The Fugitive. Right. Now, anyone who doesn't have their hand up, you should, you know, you should investigate your priorities. Uh, now, The Fugitive is one of the great movies. Um, and Harrison Ford plays Richard Kimball. Uh, Richard Kimball is a good man. He's a loving husband. He's a skillful and compassionate doctor, a surgeon. Uh, but he is falsely accused of brutally murdering his wife uh, and so brought terribly low, imprisoned, his reputation destroyed. When he, es he escapes from prison but he escapes as a fugitive on the run, desperately trying to evade you know, the authorities, the US Marshals, while he tries to clear his name. Uh, and eventually he is exonerated. So there's a nice resolution. I'm going to give away the ending, but you've had 30 years to catch up, people. Uh, so eventually he is exonerated. His name is cleared. He's shown to be in the right, uh, and things are restored. Uh, back to what, how, how they should. You know, he's regarded as a, a good man, wrongly accused, all that sort of thing. Now, why is this such a good movie? Uh, who can tell me why this is such a good movie? Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford right? The lead actor. Right? He's, a, he's a great actor. Indiana Jones, all that sort of stuff. Yep, okay. And, and he was, um, what was he in um, Han Solo? Yeah? Yeah, that was, all right. Okay, and what else? What else? Good ending. Don't, what has happened to people these days? They've forgotten that we want a good ending to stories, yeah? It's almost like people said, how about we mess things up at the end just to throw people out? But now everyone wants to do it in every show you ever watch, and you just walk away feeling like I've invested two hours of my time to feel more depressed than I was at the start. We, people, 
We want a good ending. Can someone who has any influence over Hollywood uh, trip please explain this? Um, and yeah, and so there's lots of good reasons it's a good movie. Uh, you know, there's action, intrigue, suspense, all that sort of stuff. But fundamentally, it's because of that experience of being in the valley, being misunderstood, falsely accused, but for things to be restored. There's something deep in our hearts where we long for justice, yeah? Where we long for things to be put right. Um, Now, have a look at that valley. Have you been in that valley? Uh, Have you spent time in that valley, you know, where people have falsely accused you? Uh, Where you have, you know, your reputation has come under a cloud of doubt. Uh, In an age of cancel culture, it just feels like that's happening more and more. Just little things we can do can mean we are cancelled and falsely accused. Um, And I've been there uh, in that valley of kind of suspicion uh, and and it creates anxiety. It's a tiring place to be where people think the worst of you. Um, and, and you have this longing for justice. Now, if you've lived long enough, you will know about that valley, right? When I speak at church at five tonight, some will not have felt that valley, uh, but most of you have been in that valley, yeah, at some time. And we find ourselves longing for justice, and yet... It justice feels so elusive in our world. We long for healing. We long for God to put things right in our world. And maybe even today you come and you find yourself in that valley. Now, I want to say, whoever you are this morning, God promises better things to come, right? If you put your trust in Jesus, the end of the story is very good. Right? And, and, and the whole Bible is, is here from God to persuade you of that truth. That you put your trust in Jesus, there is a good ending to come, no matter where things are at for you at the moment. Better than you can imagine, far better than you deserve. Uh, that's what's in store for you as you put your trust in Jesus. So this morning we're going to see this pattern in the life of Job from the Old Testament Then we're going to step forward a couple of thousand years to the time of Jesus. And then we're going to go a couple of thousand years further to the time of you and me. But let's begin with Job. Now we know from the outset, oh, Hugh Jackman, what better person to play Job? Uh, So Job, played by Hugh Jackman, he's a man of great integrity. uh, And we hear that from the narrator right from the start. He feared God and shunned evil. Uh, A good man. More importantly, we hear this verdict from God. We hear it from God twice. God is speaking to Satan, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? There really is no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Uh, And God says it again. Uh, We know very clearly up front, here is the best of people. You know, a good man fears God, shuns evil. But Satan wants to challenge that verdict of God. 
Uh, for Satan, it's kind of like God, he only loves you because you give him so many good things. But you take those things away and he will curse you to your face. He's one of those fair weather friends. As long as you keep giving him, giving him, giving him, he will love you, love you, love you. But when times get hard, he will turn on you, God, and curse you to your face. See, what, what, God, what Satan is doing is he's challenging the integrity of Job, but he's also in t- challenging the integrity of God. God, you're only worthy to be worshipped if you do good things to people. You're not worthy uh, if, you don't do, if, you know, if, if people don't feel your blessing. So, Satan goes to work. He strips Job of everything. Children, crops, livestock... Job is afflicted by painful sores. It is just such a devastating reversal of fortunes in the first two chapters. Um, But in all of this, Job does not curse God. Job holds on to his integrity. And then his friends come on the scene. Uh, And they try to help Job make sense of what's taken place. You know, they sit with him in silence. They do the right thing there. But then they try to unpack and understand what is going on for Job. And their understanding works like this. God is just, therefore you get what you deserve. That's how life works. God runs this universe and he will make sure you get what you deserve. Uh, Do good and you receive blessing and success from God. Do evil and you'll come under God's curse you will suffer. And so they lay that out and then they say, Job, look at yourself. Look at the terrible, horrendous suffering you're experiencing right now. You're under God's curse. So trace it back, Job. What have you done to bring God's curse on you? What is that sin that you have hidden that that we haven't seen but that you are holding in your heart? Because there is some hidden evil that needs to just be brought out into the light, repented of, and then God will restore your fortunes. And so <clears throat> what, what we see with these friends, notice I've got them in, had them in inverted commas. They're not true friends, are they? Uh, because they're judgmental. They are relentless in their accusations. They fail to listen to Job. Instead of comfort, they just make Job's suffering all the worse. It's so much different when you suffer with good friends around you, who love you, who are patient with you, who care for you. But these friends, they're just trying to drive Job to confess this sin that has brought this on him all along. Uh, And so... Uh, so, you know, whilst there are things they say which are true, in essence, they're wrong as much as they assume and believe they are right. And so Job is falsely accused again and again. Listen to Job 13. Job says to his friends, listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I've prepared my case, I know I'll be vindicated. Right? So that's, that's that exonerated idea. 
I'll be cleared of all charges. You accuse me of wrongdoing, but I will be exonerated before God. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I'll be silent and die. But you can't because there is nothing. Job longs for his name to be cleared, for him to be exonerated. So chapter 23, Job says, If only I knew where to find God. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments. I'd find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press charges against me. It's almost like Job is saying, God, make this injustice right. Put things right. But where is God? He's not answering my cries. And Job is so fixated in exonerating himself, in having his own reputation cleared, that he starts bringing doubt on God's reputation. Uh, He starts accusing God of being cruel, unjust, uncaring. So Job chapter 30, Job says to God, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but... You merely look at me. You don't do anything. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up. You drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Can you feel the, how crushing God's silence is for Job? It is devastating especially when the friends are just making all these false assumptions about him. God, can't you just say something and clear my name? Uh, And so for God to remain silent, well, Job says that is cruel. Uh, God is crushing me in the midst of my pain. Now, finally, last week we heard God speak and we saw that Job is humbled before God. God's intention wasn't to humiliate Job, but to give Job a sense of his his all-pervasive care of this world. Uh, And so God says, it's like God says, Job, you're concerned about what you can see from your vantage, but what about the mountain goats in the wild places? Are you there when they give birth? Do you kind of, are you like the midwife bringing the baby? Uh, out of the mother goat? Uh, are you there where the, where the wild eagle soars and nests? Uh, are you there? What about the, the forces of evil, the Leviathan, the beer moth? Right? Are you in control of them? Uh, putting boundaries around the evil activities that they conduct. And as Job hears this, he is humbled. Because he's sort of shaken his fist at God without considering there's a much bigger picture that God knows about that I don't know about. And Job realises he has crossed the line. And so he says, verse 5, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. 
Now, we've got to be really clear here. This, this does not imply that Job was in the wrong all along. Right? Job, we knew from the start, Job is a man of integrity. But what Job is repenting of here is in his longing to exonerate himself, he had started pointing the finger at God, making demands of God, making aspersions that God is cruel, unjust and unloving. But he learnt that God is not answerable to me, uh, that God is God, Job is Job, and he humbles himself before his loving creator. And then in verse 7, right at the end, after 42 chapters, Job is exonerated. Uh, and it is such a refreshing thing to hear. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends. <sighs> Finally, can you imagine Job hearing those words from God? You know, in God's silence, it had been so crushing. But now God says, your friends are in the wrong. God says to these three friends, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now, remember Richard Kimball from The Fugitive? Uh, his whole quest is to exonerate himself. <clears throat> and, I, and kind of Job was on something of a similar quest, I think. But in the end, it is God who exonerates him. In the end, it is God who speaks his verdict. The God who sees all and knows all. And to hear his verdict... And for him to say to Job, not guilty. What refreshing thing to hear. For him to say, These three, you three friends, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job. As God says that twice, just to reinforce it. To have endured such a barrage of false accusation, but then finally to hear God say, you were in the right all along and they are in the wrong. They must have been just such refreshing words to hear. See, how good it is to hear your accusers call to account before God. <clears throat> now, I want you to notice that God arranges for Job then to pray for his friends. I just think that's a beautiful kind of irony, but a, a lovely irony, and that is... These friends had been mercilessly making assumptions and judging Job. Now they will receive forgiveness from God, but they will receive forgiveness through the mediation of Job. It's kind of a humbling thing, isn't it, for these three friends because they've got to come to the point of recognising Job was in the right and now our forgiveness will come not just from God but from Job as well. And at the end of verse 9, the Lord accepted Job's prayer. I just think that's a beautiful moment. It just shows how gracious God is, doesn't it? That you think, if anyone should be smote or smited in this book, it is these three friends, my goodness. Uh, and yet, God shows mercy to them. And finally, Job is restored. Verse 9, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord... <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord <coughs> just kill the microphone. No, you can't kill the microphone. You're not there. Oh, Jeff, Jeff's there.
verse 9, uh, so the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Now, can you spot the difference between this curve and Richard Kimball's curve from The Fugitive? Oh, come on, Jenny, Jenny, what do you got? Goes up higher. So have a look at Richard Kimball again. So Richard Kimball comes back, but I don't think his fortunes are restored to as good as he had it before. Uh, he's still a very broken man at the end. But look at, look at Job's restored, and you just go, wow, he's twice as prosperous. Um, God blesses him with this beautiful family. Look at them. How did I get a photo of Hugh Jackman with all this beautiful family around him? Uh, livestock. He eventually lives to the age of 140, which is very old. Uh, but he dies, you know, having seen the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. What's that? Great, great, great grandfather. And just this, this happy, prosperous man who dies at peace. And you think, wow, that's, that's, that's a good, good innings. Um, a satisfying resolution to Job's story in a world of suffering and chaos. It warms our hearts to see things put right, doesn't it? Uh, we want life to be fair. We want our lives to make sense. Uh, we want there to be kind of justice in the end. Uh, we long for a happy ending. And I don't think it's just a superficial longing. It's a deep longing. Uh, we really want our lives to matter and for things to find a resolution in the end. And in God's world, they do. So I want to come on to Jesus. Uh, and I want to think about that great poem in, in Philippians 2. Listen to this poem. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he found an appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Here is the trajectory of Jesus' life. Starts in glory, right? So if anything, it should be you know, even higher up, you know, the, the start. But starts in glory and then humbles himself, falsely accused. You think about on the cross, those accusations, you know, that, that shout, crucify him. You know, he's a blasphemer. He's a servant of Satan. He's demonic. You know, all these, all these false accusations came his way. And just there's this crushing humbling as the Son of God dies as a criminal in the most humiliating of ways, stripped naked, gasping for his last breaths uh, on a cross. Unlike Job, Jesus never sinned. He was perplexed. He will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he never accuses God of being cruel or unjust. And just as with Job, God exonerates Jesus in the most dramatic way, resurrection. So this is what it says in Philippians 2. Therefore, right, because he humbled himself 
in obedience on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice as with Job, Jesus begins in glory, but if, if possible, and it is, somehow he is even more exalted as the risen saviour who willingly laid down his life for us. Uh, that, that notches his glory up so that now the song in heaven is not just about God the creator, it is about God the saviour, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was crucified. That's the song on repeat in heaven because Jesus is even more glorious today than he was before he came to the earth because we see his mercy in action, his loving obedience. Um, and as with Job, can you see how God's mercy extends even to Jesus' enemies? Remember on the cross, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Right? It's, um, it's like when God says to Job, pray for your friends that they might be forgiven. God doesn't need to say this to Jesus, it just instinctively out of his heart, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that mercy, it now, that forgiveness extends to the whole world who were somehow implicit, uh, complicit in Jesus' crucifixion. Now mercy and forgiveness extends to every single one of us. So come forward to you and me. And let's finish there. Uh, to say, I'm just checking the time, right? Um, you and me, accused. Like Job, like Jesus, each one of us will feel the pain of false accusation in our lives. And it is painful. You just, you just feel like you wish there could be someone to adjudicate and show you to be in the right. Uh, there's so much false accusation in our world, so much cancel culture. But sometimes the accusations are true, aren't they? So this is where we're not like Jesus and we're not like Job, that we are such a mixed bag, aren't we? And so when Satan comes to us, he not only fires false allegations at us, but he has plenty of live ammunition from our sin, uh, from our self-centeredness. And he loves to use the real sins that we've done to trap us in our shame and our guilt. And he will accuse and accuse and accuse because that's what he does. But because of Jesus, God's forgiveness flows to us. As we come humbly before God, the cleansing of all the guilt and shame. Uh, and so I've got the word humbled. Look at this promise from James chapter 4. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Right? So you, you, you become aware of your sin. Uh, others might accuse you. Bring yourself humbly before God just like Job did. And he will lift you up. What a great promise. Right? Don't live life trying to exonerate yourself. Uh, it, it is just a, a, 
a cruel and it, it, it won't work out. You'll just become bitter and angry. I've seen it again and again. But come humbly before God and you can be exonerated in his sight. That is, through Jesus, God declares you and me not guilty. The Bible word is justified, but it's that exonerated sort of idea that even though we've done stuff, even though we've been accused of doing stuff, in God's sight, God's declaration is not guilty. And it's all because Jesus has paid the price for our sin. How good is that? And through Jesus, we are restored. Uh, Restored to something far beyond where we started far beyond what we deserve, far beyond what we could even imagine. We are made children of God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have every spiritual blessing right now. And yet, we still await a day in the future, don't we? We still await a day when we will be fully exonerated. There are still doubts. There are still allegations. There are still guilt that we sort of carry around. There's still suffering in this world. It's only on that day in the future when Satan, the accuser, will be thrown in the lake of destruction. He will be cast and banished forever. It's only on that day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know, as much as we'd love to take each other's tears away, they will remain until Jesus comes again. It's only on that day when God will put all things new and where there'll be that sort of cosmic order and peace that will just flow on like a river into eternity. Now, that is our ultimate hope. And so, our lives as followers of Jesus are this strange but wonderful mix. In many ways, we're still in the valley in many ways, we feel the, the, the brokenness, the, the humiliation of this world. It's suffering, injustice, persecution, just like Jesus felt. We have this longing for justice. And yet, we have God's promise, God's assurance that spiritually, we've already been exonerated. Spiritually, we're already restored. We're children of God through faith in Jesus. Nothing more to be done there. That's the reality now. Um, But we have God's promise that Jesus will return any day. And that's when our exoneration will be complete. That's when every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus. Uh, They don't at the moment. But that's also when the, the children of God will be revealed in glory. Uh, And that's when the new creation will roll on forever. So I just want to say, press on in the valley uh, and you will feel it. Press on in the valley uh, because because there's great hope in Jesus even now. You've gone through the valley already, spiritually. But press on in the valley while we wait for that to become a, a comprehensive reality in the new creation. I'm going to lead us in prayer. <clears throat> God, our Father, we, we do live in a world of injustice 
and suffering and false accusation and just it's just rife but we also know that there is sin in each of our lives there are things each one of us has said and done that bring us guilt and shame and 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 we can feel stuck in those things and satan loves to keep us in that place But we want to thank you for your son, Jesus, for his humble obedience, that he left his glory for us. He became obedient even to death. And then you raised him up from death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. And Jesus is now Lord of all. Father, we trust in Jesus for our cleansing that he, will t- he takes away already our guilt and our shame. Help us to trust you in that. Thank you for your amazing mercy that you pour out on us. Love, your spirit, adoption into your family. And please strengthen us to honour and serve you even in the midst of trials and injustices in this life. Help us to press on even when we feel like we're in the valley. And please fill us with your promises and your hope that when Jesus comes again, one day soon, we will be with him forever on that day when all evil is done away with forever. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.